to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. I'm Andrew. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. Well, we're getting back into Daniel chapter one. And so before we start, Jeff, would you open up with prayer, please? Father in heaven, we pray now that you will send your Holy Spirit, just not to just to us as we uh, discuss this chapter one of Daniel, but that you would also send it to the people who are listening, that as they hear the word of God, they might know what you have to say to them and what, they have to, what you have to say in the world today as well. So bless us as we spend this time together in the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start in Daniel chapter 1, and I'm just, we're just going to read through the entire chapter because we believe that there is a blessing in reading the word so we can digest it, chew on it, and see what it means for our lives. So in Daniel chapter 1 in the New King James Version, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his gods. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter, and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all none was found like Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. All right, we're digging in to Daniel chapter 1. Yeah, last time we spent the whole time just talking about the very first verse and taking into consideration the big picture. And that is, this is Babylon versus Jerusalem or the great, you know, we'd call it the great controversy of God versus Satan and their, their approach to the human situation. So today we're going to 
dig into the details of that. Of how does Babylon, you know, what's it trying to do in the world today even? So we can make a lot of the things we talk about today, we can apply to our lives as well. Yeah, I think that um, we'll see how, how this plays out here uh, through this first chapter. Um, we see that, that this struggle that we talked about last week on a more uh, cosmic scale now plays out in, in, in just in the simple things of life, um, especially in the, in the lives of Daniel and his three friends. And uh, I think one of the things that we discover is that, well, Satan's tactics haven't changed much to over time. He's still using the same, same things he did, perhaps because they work so well. Yeah, and, and one of the things that we didn't get to it last week, but we, talked, we did talk about besieging, and, and that's how what chapter, the verse 1 uh, kind of speaks to is this, that there, there was a besiegement, and we kind of spoke to the idea that it, uh, besieging means that they're surrounding and keeping food and water from being able to go in and ultimately to overcome them and how that Satan still besieges us today. He surrounds us and tries to keep us out of the word, tries to, you know, have us not lives, our lives filled with the Holy Spirit, those sorts of things. And, but then we didn't get to talk about the fact that he removes them from Jerusalem, you know, and that's an important point too. A lot of times what Satan tries to do today, especially to Christians, is to remove them from their source of of fellowship and of Bible study and right. The place that you feel safe in and you're familiar with and you're comfortable. And once you're taken out of that a locality, then it's like, Oh, here's this strange place I have to adapt to. And you know, I'm, am I going to fit in and Oh, what? But then some people are like, Oh, well, what can I get away with now that I don't have all these eyes looking at me like I did before. <laughs> right. And that's a big thing for our kids. You know, I'm, I have young adult children and, and uh, it seems like once they're removed from, from uh, the comforts of home, so to speak, where you're, you've, you've taught them and you've uh, kind of raised them in a cer- certain way. And then all of a sudden, you know, they go to a college and it might still be a Christian college and they get a certain a sense of a different freedom or so to speak. But then beyond that, they get removed from the community of believers, so to speak. And they're in the world. That's when Satan really begins to. Jeff mentioned kids there. And, you know, perhaps a point that we should uh, emphasize a little bit that, most expositors would think that Daniel was probably a teenager, at least Daniel and probably his, his, his three friends, because he lived the whole 70 years of captivity in Babylon and then some more time in, in the, the kingdom that uh, came after. So he, he, was, he was a very, very young man. And usually we, we make the point of you know, their faithfulness to, to what God had instructed them concerning some certain dietary things which is, of course, a wonderful thing to, to be obedient to God. But sometimes we miss some of the more subtle things that are going on. For instance, like in verse 2, it says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. On the surface, you could look at this whole event as a catastrophe, and certainly it was, but God always has a plan. He's, he, he has people that will seek his plan out and, and do it. I think, uh, you know, maybe we could talk a little about some of the, the background here or the backdrop of Babylon coming to invade Judah. If we remember the story of King Hezekiah, uh, who was a king just a few generations back, who became grossly ill. And Isaiah the prophet came and said, you're going to die. Hezekiah prayed and he prayed for more time and, he, and then asked for a sign. And, and the story, which is found in the book of Second Kings, 
the sign he settled on was that the sun would go backwards. That's an incredible thing, the sun going backwards. After that happened, of course, people in the world noticed things like that. Some envoys from Babylon came to visit Hezekiah to find out about the circumstances of his illness. But instead of declaring the greatness of his God before them, you remember he went and showed them all his riches and those kind of things. And because of that, Isaiah said, well, that's all going to be taken away from you. And so now God, who had opened an opportunity for these people in Babylon to learn about him through this miracle that he created, is, is essentially sending his own envoys into Babylon. And he has a plan to convert a king. And, and I think another point there as well is, is, is that, and it will be repeated over and over again in Daniel as we study, is that God is in control of the whole situation. And, that, and, and secondarily to that is that sometimes good people um, have to experience things because of no fault of their own. Mm. You know, that they just, it's, that's just life for us in this world of sin. And that is, is that, you know, we're going to go through things because Satan is at work. But what we can know behind the scenes is God has a bigger plan and that we can trust in him for the bigger plan. And, you know, I'm always going to kind of come back to that kind of thing is because I, uh, people, uh, people need to know that God is overseeing the matters in our lives, in their personal lives, and that it may feel at times like it's helpless. As I think Daniel and his friends, when they were walking from uh, in Jerusalem to Babylon, I, I forget how many miles it is, but it's a long ways. I'm sure that they were thinking to themselves, why me? You know what I mean? And, and we, can, we can actually think about, uh, talk about some of the things that happened to them individually as well along the way. But I'm sure that in their Christian experience, it was a crisis or in their, you know, their God um, relationship experience, it was a crisis because they lost their families and they, you know, they lost their homes. They lost their teaching experience and now they're prisoners. So, right. Okay. So Babylon comes along, captures these Jewish boys. They go through, uh, they go on a trek back to Babylon. You know, it's what I'm assuming it's at least a month or so of of walking in chains until you finally get to Babylon. They're told that they're going to have a whole new life, you know, separated from their loved ones and uh, the things that they're used to and, you know, completely turn their world upside down. So what would it, what was it like for them when they actually, you know, experienced that? Well, we can see what Babylon does in verse two. We already saw one, Bob brought out a great point. And that is, is that the Lord gave Jehoiakim into the, uh, into the hand of Babylon. But it also says that uh, the first thing that, they did was they took some of the articles of, from the temple into the, the land of Shinar and put them in the house of Nebuchadnezzar's God. And that's a, that's a big point uh, because we're going to see, it's actually going to come up significant later on in Daniel. Right. Um, and there's intention. I, I mean, what would you think the intention of Nebuchadnezzar is in doing that? Well, it sounds like he's saying, Hey, I'm better than you and my God's better than your God. Yeah, I think that, the, you know, the ancients often, often you know, we fight for, for God and country and, and, and uh, you know, under the flag, but the ancients often, often fought in the names of their gods. So this was a, it was a big deal um, to do this. And, and, then, and then we see, we see evidence of that in the, in the fact that, as we read, Nebuchadnezzar chose to change their names from, from their Hebrew names, which incorporate uh, the name of their God to Babylonian names, which 
yeah, do the same thing. Yeah. And, and their names all mean something different about, Oh, praise this God and praise that God, not your old God, but the, your, you know, get used to, this is how life's going to be for you. And you mentioned earlier, this is all happening because of what Hezekiah did because they saw it. They saw the treasure and the Bible teaches in Ezra, in Ezra chapter one, it says that they took 5,400 pieces of silver and gold from the sanctuary. And sometimes we just think, well, they took a couple cups, you know what right, I mean? But they, this, they, they took a lot of gold and a lot of silver right? and they took it back to it, Babylon with them. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got a, a set of dinnerware, you know, in the attic that I don't use. And so it's not like that. It's not a no. couple of, you know, uh, the, the couple of plates and the mismatched silverware that I have, but it was like this whole, you know, enough silverware for like a banquet. I mean, that's not what they use it for, but a huge amount of, of these articles that would, that was taken. And then you know, we see it later. It's used in, in other ways. Would you, would you guys think that um, this kind of tells us that Nebuchadnezzar was a religious guy? Yeah, I think in so. His own I, right. I think, I think it, I think Babylon itself, the city had all kinds of what's one of the, one of the characteristics of it was it had all kinds of different temples in it to different gods and stuff. So he was a, rel- a religious guy. Um, and I, I, I've read before that Nebuchadnezzar himself as the king of Babylon would be considered sort of godlike, and, you know, and we can see that passed on, you know, through the, uh, through the um, different nations that would follow, you know, that, that he himself had the prerogative of a God, so to speak. And so that's something to keep in mind in the background, but we're not talking about people who are just like, they had a religious system and he, he was religious and he had a political, a political thing in mind as to how to make his kingdom bigger. And they would take these young people and retrain them and re, you know, remake them in their own image. And that just made, he believed he, that would make his kingdom wiser and, and stronger. Right. And, Geopolitically, at the time, Judah was was located in 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 a uh, an area where it was it was a buffer kingdom between Babylon and the other one of the other ancient superpowers of the day, that being Egypt. And they'd already had a couple of uh, skirmishes or or battles um, for control over over essentially trade routes uh, in the area. So, so explain that a little bit more because it comes big later on. When Babylon came to invade Jerusalem, what direction did it come from? Well, they always come from the north because right. you can't you, to go s- straight across from um, the east, the west. They'd have to cross a big desert, so they would follow the rivers and then come down the the, the coastal route to into. Um, so, so we become we begin to see a pattern, even in its early stages, where Babylon attacks from the north, and at at issue is this king of the south, so to speak, which we would call Egypt at right. the time. And that, yes. that's kind of a recurring theme that we're going to see. Exactly. There's going to be a whole prophecy um, related to that. But even early on in a very literal way, right. um, Judah is caught between these two superpowers of Babylon and Egypt, both vying for, for supremacy and both wanting to use this kingdom as a buffer state. So let's step back because we, we can talk about a lot of individual uh, and items that, that w- and we can get to those. But Bob, what do you think like is the um, what's the driving point in this chapter? Uh, what, what can, what's the big takeaway from Babylon? Well, I think the big point comes in how Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar and his servants go about trying to seduce the children 
of Israel that they brought back in this captivity. And what I mean by that is if you look at the, this chapter and you look at all the things that they did, it was a while before Daniel and his friends were introduced to the king. But, but in the meantime, they're offered the best food. They're offered the free education at, at the best universities. They're, they're promised premium jobs when they get done in the court of Babylon. So all these all these uh, enticements, so to speak, and they've already been given new names af- after the, the gods of Babylon are, are offered in order to, to seduce them to, to, uh, to worship a new God. Because in, in, in the mind of, of Nebuchadnezzar and, and his, in the mind of the, the thinking is like, well, you guys lost the battle. You lost the war. Our, our God's got to be greater than yours. And so, so we see Babylon's first in uh, its its first attempt is always seduction. It's, it it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, actually. Yeah. So so in, in at least in this chapter, we're seeing that Babylon's chief strategy, you know, overriding strategy is first, can we seduce? Or in Satan's in the, in the language of of the Bible, it's temptation to you know in in a, in a very in various ways we see in this chapter that temptations come upon these young men. And so uh, that, that's, you know, that's still going on today, especially for young adults, right? Yeah. The, the apost- for all of us, I should say. The Apostle John in First in, in John labels it as the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those things are still right. what, what, what Satan likes to throw in front of us, uh, not even just children, but even as adults. You know, we, we, he, he still appeals to those, those basic carnal instincts of ours to... Um, to either have power, position, or things. Okay, let's just backtrack a little bit now because we see the umbrella of what's going on and see if we can see some finer points within. Uh, We've already talked about a couple of them, and one is is that uh, Satan uses the idea of besiegement, that he will remove people from their uh, source of uh, fellowship and and power. And the third one is, is, is that I think is, that comes out in verse 2, is where he's mixing the truth about God with, you know, his own... Uh, his own gods. And so it's just lies and that's nothing new, right? That's nothing new for the devil to do that. Right? right. Especially when you, when you consider the fact that everything in the sanctuary is essentially a, a, a something that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ ultimately. And there's nothing that Satan likes to do more than to pervert that. I was right? like, okay, so let's just mm-hmm. go off of that point. Yeah. Because if you have something that is representing a specific path that is taken and each point uh, along that way is a representation of Christ, if Satan can come in there and pluck it out, pluck out the, the furniture, pluck out the, the bowls and the dishes, uh, you know, they, they would, that they would use to then carry the lamb's blood into the sanctuary and to sprinkle on the different instruments, you're, you're removing out of its, out of its context and uh, perverting its, its usage. And then, you know, later in, um, at the end, at the fall of Babylon, we see them do it in, even in a more perverse way. Uh, when they bring out the, the the cups and the goblets to drink wine in and, and and party with. So, in terms of the gospel, what do you think's going on here, then, Bob? Well, I think there's I think there's there's actually two paths that can that that this could go through. One is like Andrew said, is that you know it could be the go- the gospel can be perverted when it gets mixed with things. The other thing is that, um, someone could say, well, "What is this about?" You know, and 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 it's and it can be an opportunity, and just like I was saying before that God sends 
Daniel, the best in here, because he's got a plan. He sent, he, he also, there's a representation of, of his plan, his ultimate plan of salvation um, to, uh, that, that he introduces as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea that what's being presented here is, is the fact that uh, when truth in it, the truth of the gospel is mixed with lies, it's another gospel, right? And Paul says, well, it's not really another gospel, right? In Galatians, it's not really another gospel. But if somebody comes and teaches it, he says, let them be anathema to you. It's, you know, a, it's, it's a perversion. A, there's only one gospel. And so we, can, we could take this symbolism here and we can see how uh, what Satan is trying to do and what he's using uh, Nebuchadnezzar in this case, what he's trying to do is diminish the, the truth about Jesus in the long run and, and who he is. And so we have to keep that in mind in the background as we learn more about this. What about this verse number three? Um, I, I, some people uh, think that uh, Daniel, you know, suffered a fate that uh, isn't very pleasant to think about. Right. That he wasn't uh, to be able to reproduce anymore. Yeah. I mean, second, um, second Kings, like you said in chapter 20, we, we should read that if we can. Second Kings chapter 20 talks about it. it. Again, it's the prophet Isaiah. And listen to what it says, and starting with verse 15. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And this is what you were talking about earlier, Bob. So Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. And Isaiah is about to prophesy. He says, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried into Babylon and nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. It's a pretty, you know, it's not absolutely conclusive, but it seems like Daniel, you know, is written in this prophecy, so to speak. and. We don't have to make a big point of it, but why would the king, I mean, why would the, why would the king literally make these new princes, so to speak, eunuchs? And then secondly, what does that, what's the spiritual significance of that? Well, if you are a commandment keeping people who love God, then I can imagine Satan would, wouldn't want you to be able to reproduce and teach your children the same. And so in, in, in some sense stunt, you know, the best of his ability, Satan was trying to prevent the, the spreading of, of God's ways and ultimately the gospel. Yeah, I think that's exactly right spiritually. And, and for the king probably did it just to protect his harem, right. so to speak, you know, literally. But, um, but we have these little subnotes in the story to help us to understand that really what Satan wants to do today, still, it's still a Babylonian um, way, is to keep us from reproducing ourselves as Christians of you know, uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and even even beyond that, I think um, he wants to keep us from reproducing the character of Jesus in us so that the world would see him again in his people. So keep us distracted by whatever means so that, you know, we don't have that time to sit down and have that thoughtful hour of thinking about Christ and, and what salvation means for us each and every day. Because what do you want to do when you think about God and what he's done for you is tell somebody else about it. Yeah. And by the way, the other thing that Babylon does too here is it said, um, you know, I'm an old guy, so uh, not that old, but it definitely looks like the youth are targeted in this situation. And not that Satan doesn't target everybody spiritually, but he's certainly interested in targeting 
the youth and the young adults, because like, you know, any, any time we go to war, so to speak, we always send the young people because they're strong and they have, you know, resilience. And so Satan is looking at the army that God has or the potential army has, and that's where he attacks. And that's what happened here. Um, I think also we want to make note here of, you know, it's fascinating because we're talking about some really more global concepts and things mm-hmm. that are going on. But the issue that, that all of this swirls around is seemingly a really insignificant small thing, right? It's it, that all, all of, all of, all of what we're talking about hinges on, well, you know, we'd rather eat vegetables. Um, I find that kind of interesting and fascinating because sometimes the issue that things swirl around has, has a bigger implication than just that specific issue. In other words, Daniel and his friends decided that they're going to be faithful in this, this, just this little, little thing, you know, know, this is the way we were taught. We don't want to eat the King's delicacies. We don't want to eat the, uh, the meat of Babylon. And yet, behind that, God is going to is going to take that those little that hit their faithfulness and little things, and He's going to do some 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 wildly great things uh, in in Babylon. And some of that has to do with as we look at it for ourselves is up to this point, up to that point in the story, they had no control over what was going on. They, you know, those these young men had no control over being torn from Jerusalem. They had no control over being torn, walking through the desert. They had mm-hmm. no control of their new lives in Babylon, but they got to this thing where they thought that they could hold on to, you know, something hard and fast that they had been taught all their lives and they held on to it. Sometimes in our lives, it feels like those same things are happening and we have to hang on to, you know, something that is simple and basic and solid in the Lord. And that can make all the difference. Right. And the goal is there, you know, that, well, if they can get them on just one little point, you know, put a little hole and then that hole start to grow and, and they can get them at other areas of their, of their lifestyle and living. So, yeah, you can see the, the tactics that are at play and how something small can, you know, lead to something else and just become this entirely different, bigger thing. Okay, so let's let's get into the actual um, happenings of, of what's going on with. So let's get into the decision that all the boys make. Right. I think you know. I think verse eight is important for us to look at because they all decide that they they, they approach this this um, um, official and say, "Look, can is, we we'd like to have the the privilege of of of." eating and drinking our way. And of course he's a little, he's a little afraid for his own skin because as you know, as we'll see, Nebuchadnezzar can be a little bit volatile of a person. And so he's not sure he wants him to, to do that, but he says, so give us 10 days to test it. Just 10 days. Right. And after the 10 days, so he, it was, it was clear that, well, they were in a healthier state than the rest of them. That's what it was. His main worry was. So he let them, he let them go ahead and, and, uh, um, continue to, to, to eat and drink in accordance with their, their beliefs. Yeah. And what I find interesting is because that's kind of the summary of the story. And because of their faithfulness, the Bible says to us in in verse 17, as for these four young men, and here we see 
God inserting himself again here. He's been here the whole time, but it says that God gave to them knowledge and skill and in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And so this is, so we often think that that was just a result of the fact that they uh, were eating vegetarian food, which was, you know, that was the Jewish lifestyle, so to speak. But the Bible clearly is instructing that here that they ate what they were told to eat, but then God gives them this, um, these, these, supernatural things. Yeah, they're spiritual right. gifts. Spiritual gifts, which right. is astounding, you know what I mean? I mean, it's 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 a very exciting because we see how it sets up the whole uh, book to come. You know, it's just now they're prepared. I mean, why Daniel needs understanding and visions and dreams in chapter one is not evident at all. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and verse eight kind of tells us, you know, where the whole battleground is. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart. It's the heart of man where this, where this battle takes place. Um, between whether, you know, whether we're going to be faithful and obedient to God, even though we can't perceive what his reasons are for things at sometimes, uh, as opposed to, well, just going along with the crowd, you know, and just, just, you know, maybe it's just a little thing. But just looking at cause and effect, because sometimes we look at the end of the story here in this first chapter and we say, well, the reason they were 10 times wiser and 10 times more knowledge and all of those things is because of their, because they ate a certain type of food, as opposed to the fact that it was, it's because they chose in their hearts to be faithful to God. And it's God who does the miracle in that. Right. Yeah. Sometimes we get this idea that the blessing is in the action, like the, okay, God says to do this, so I'm not going to eat this. Like, and then we get kind of worked up in our, in ourselves, like, oh, oh no, I accidentally ate some of this and I, and I, oh, I didn't know it was in there. And, but the real blessing is knowing that you're following God because you love him and you care about what he says. And through that, he blesses you because you grow in that, in that understanding. It's not the, the fear of, of, oh, you're, you're apprehensive because you're, you're, you, you don't know, you don't want to misstep, you know, you can't live a life of faith like that. I was at a meeting one time and I was listening to a physician talk about um, healing and how. Uh, medicine can help you move in a direction of healing, but ultimately it's God who actually does the healing. It's always the miracle of God that we, our bodies heal themselves. So I don't want to have many friends who, um, you know, believe in a very strict diet and uh, to have a a body that is, you know, healthy. But I want us also want us to know that it's God who fills us with his spirit to accomplish his ends. And that's what we, we need to understand is this, that, uh, it's our, it's as we're faithful, he pours his spirit out into us and his love is made manifest. And I think, you know, along with, with that, that, you know, sometimes I, I think I always thought when I maybe was growing up that it was that the king examined them after three days, which is, which not the case, you know, it, it, he appointed them for three years of education. And it was after the appointed time, it, it says, after those three years that the king actually did his examination. So, so the other point is like, well, what would these guys were, they were not only faithful in the little things, but they're also faithful in, I think they were the best students in them in old Babylon. U. you know, they studied, they studied, <laughs> they, they worked at it because they were there to represent their God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I think part of that was the culture that they were brought up in and to know that there is a God out there who loves you and then to have a whole culture like that. And then you take that culture with you, that idea that, 
well, I'm going to study because I know what it's done for me in the past. And, but they took that then and then were able to rise up in their ranks and, and, and be a witness, just be just alone by their, their, uh, their wisdom and the knowledge that they had that they got to bless them with. So we could say that their conscientiousness and that their devotion to duty was not simply a one-time event here. It was, it was something that permeated their characters and, and which, which allowed then them to, when they stood the tests, to, to be head and shoulders uh, above everybody else. So let's recap chapter one. How would you recap it if you were to say, okay, we've talked about all these things. How would you summarize what Babylon is trying to do and how God responds from chapter one? Okay, so we got the king of Babylon. He wants all the land. He comes and he takes people from Jerusalem. He besieges it, captures these guys, takes them prisoner, makes them change their ways, trains them up in the Babylonian traditions, and uh, tries to get them to change everything about them because he wants them to be fully assimilated into the culture. But they end up saying, well, that's not how we roll. We're going to still try to maintain what we know to be true. And we're not going to go against that no matter what it takes, you know. And uh, they actually end up in a better situation because of their faithfulness to God rather than uh, capitulating to what, you know, the king or his representatives say. Yeah, I think that was well said. Is, and I, I think there's probably, there's probably parents who would think about this story and think to themselves, how could we end up with children like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who, who at, you know, whatever, 16 to 20 years old, take a stand on what they believe in? Because today, you know, it's, it, Babylon is more real today than it even, you know, in terms of its, its cultural designation and its desire to uh, change our children and change us as individuals. It's, I mean, we see evidences. I mean, one, just one of the things it, it tempts them, it, it tempts, it tempted them with the delicacies of the King. And wow, the, the delicacies of the King are vast and numerous today mm-hmm. you I, know, uh, in our lives. <laughs> I recently heard an interview with, uh, with somebody who, who does ministry in Iran and they talked about how there was this one couple that had moved to the U S the, to the Western culture and one day the wife uh, approached the husband and said, you know what? I want to go back to Iran because there's just this influence here that makes Christianity sleepy. And I want to go back to where, uh, you know, my, my daily Christian experience was, was one of, you know, daily uh, trial and where my faith was being tested. Mm. So there, there, it's definitely, we have so many distractions here. We have such a easy way of life. It's easy to forget that, we like the accommodations that we've been afforded through technology and such, but ultimately, you know, in, in the end, we don't need all those things to have a relationship with Christ. But at the end of the day, how would you answer that question as to how we, how should we teach our children? What is it the big point that we should be teaching our children that they hold fast to what comes out of Daniel? I think one, you know, one of the points is like, like we said before that, even in the face of not understanding things all the time that, that God is, is that you have to, you have to hold on to the belief that God is, is still in charge. And, and, that's, and, that, and that, 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 that through the inevitable difficulties and suffering that life will inflict upon us as human beings, um, we may not always understand the why of things, 
but but we can know that God works through these threads to bring to glorify Himself and and at the same time to raise us up as His people. And I think that's the, that's one of the big things here 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 in Daniel is that 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 like God is at work here, and the the gifts that He has bestowed upon Him, we discover in the next chapter, are necessary. It's a life or death situation that comes up. They had no idea of that at the time, but God can, but God sees through these things and he, his, 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 his foreknowledge and his, in his care for his children, he's, he's always preparing us. So we, we can, we can, I, I imagine that, you know, when we talk about chapter two, that, that when it came to the point where Daniel had to interpret a vision that he was pretty glad that God had given, given him that gift because his life depended upon it. But at the time, it doesn't always compute. And, and what it's related to, these, these decisions and seemingly insignificant things, doing it, well, because God said, said to do that. One of the things my mind is drawn to um, when I look at this is, is just, just the idea of the Sabbath. Because for many people, you know, it's like, well, maybe it's not that important. But it, it's, it represents a bigger principle that, that God has some, that, that there's reasons and, 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 uh, plans and, and, and all kinds of things tied to this and that, that eventually are going to come to fruition. Yeah. So I, I love the way that, that character building aspect, you know, it's, it's God preparing them with the things they'll need in the future. And that's, that's how we can take comfort in knowing that the things that we experience today, even though it may seem like a, an arbitrary trial or, you know, something that we're going through that God will definitely use that experience in the future. And that he's building us up for greater things. And I think that all of this is built on, I imagine these, these young men, when they were little, their mom or their dad telling them stories uh, that are written in the Bible about people who had gone before them, but mostly about the truth about God and who he is. So at the very core of who they were, they had this understanding of who, you know, Jehovah God was. And it was so firm and so uh, established within them that as they encountered these difficulties in life, they would just lean on that truth in their lives. And we can see the evidence that when we lean on that truth and we know who God truly is, that God can do amazing things in the lives of individuals. Well, I can't wait to get into chapter two next time. So thanks for joining us. I'm Andrew. I'm Jeff. And I'm Bob. So we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. guys thanks for joining us on this podcast we would really appreciate it if you would go to itunes and give us a review it'll help us to get up further in the rankings and it'll give some positive feedback to other people who are looking and wondering what the adventist city ministries podcast is about all right till next time god bless take care